0: everyone. Welcome to So Emo I Fell Apart. This is a podcast dedicated to all things emo and pop punk from the Naughty Oddies and today. I'm one of your hosts, Rhea.
1: And I am your other host, Chloe. And Chloe, what big, meaty,
0: toothsome, hoagie-sized topic are we getting <laughs> into today?
1: Big fucking wah hoagie topic.
0: Oh yeah, we're doing classic. It is a 10-inch. It is on wheat. We're doing an Italian. Pepperoncinis on top.
1: Fuck, I love the pepperoncinis. <laughs> Um oil we're... and vinegar. <laughs> I'm just we fucked up because now I'm just thinking about the last time I had a hoagie from Wawa. Um anyway, we are <laughs> I fucked up because I haven't had lunch yet today. <laughs> we are talking about stage gay. We are talking about gay for pay at warp tour. By two people who were gay for free at Warp Tour.
0: Oh, for
1: sure. So Like, I guess a brief intro into Stage Gay before we properly get started is that uh, Stage Gay was band members being gay on stage. Is that about it? (laughs) It was basically they
0: got on stage and like kissed each other and got really handsy with one another for fun.
1: Yeah, so it's it's a long and storied topic uh, that shaped much of our formative years. And we are Mm -hmm. looking forward to getting into it. But at the top of the episode, we just want to put out a little disclaimer that in our research and outlining of this episode, we found that it was uh, basically impossible to discuss stage gay and its ramifications without also discussing or at the very least acknowledging uh, RPF, which is real person fiction. Uh, Sometimes it was also referred to as real person slash or RPS. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was a big part of the reaction to stage gay from like band fandom. Uh, in some cases, it was spurring it on as like the fourth wall between fandom and artist was dissolving with like time and the popularization of social media as artists became more accessible and they knew how fans were responding to what they were doing on stage. They would either like play up or play down certain things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this episode is not us taking like a hard stance for or against RPF, but just us taking a look at the fan culture surrounding stage gay. And attempting to be as neutral as possible. Like, as detached and academic a discussion as we can have for two people who were very much, like, in the trenches in 2005.
0: And so, ultimately, if you're uncomfortable with discussion of RPF, it is mostly relegated to the end of the episode. And we will include a timestamp in the show notes so you can cut us off there if you so choose. Or if you're, like, super stoked to hear us talk about RPF, you can skip straight there. But that's our, like, little disclaimer at the top of here. Uh, Thanks for listening. And let's get this show... Started, yeah, hell yeah.
1: Let's go. So,
0: obviously, stage gay didn't start off with emo and pop punk bands in the aughts, it's not a new phenomenon in the slightest. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we already had artists like Prince and David Bowie and Iggy Pop playing with gender and sexuality on stage, but I think like the biggest case that we can look at of very clear cut stage gay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For lack of a better term, was kind of with uh, Butch icon Bruce Springsteen, yeah, and one of his bandmates Clarence Clemens, and who had been kissing each other on stage every night for like years,
1: yeah. And in looking at this, I because I remembered like cause I'm just, I'm just not a big Bruce Springsteen person. I'm like, yeah, breaks guy- my New Jersey heart. <laughs> yeah, no, I know, breaks my okay. Jersey heart. <laughs> I'm like, that's yeah. the boss. He's- He's the boss. He's cool. I I don't know much about him beyond, like, that I'm aware of what his politics are, basically. So I was kind of, like, looking up. I was like, this is, like, the thing I know about Bruce Springsteen. What has he ever said about this? What he has said about this has broken my fucking heart and changed me as a person. Because I found the, like, GQ profile of his Broadway show, which was Springsteen on Broadway. And he talks about the first time that they met And saying like, that they just like fell in love instantly. Like there's an excerpt from an interview with Clarence Clemens in the GQ article that I read where he's like, a rainy, windy night it was. And when I opened the door, the whole thing flew off its hinges and blew away down the street. The band were on stage, but staring at me framed in the doorway. Bruce and I looked at each other and didn't say anything. We just knew. We knew we were the missing links in each other's lives. He was what I'd been looking for. He looked at me and I looked at him and we fell in love. It's like, who oh, wh- is doing this? Like, why is this not every movie that's ever made? Where is the biopic?
0: Richard Saikin Eat Your Fucking Heart Out. Like,
1: <laughs> oh, Richard Saikin Wishes.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like, fucking, what's the name of the poem? The big long one with the, you're in a car with the boy and he won't tell you, he loves you, but he won't tell you that he loves you. Like, mm-hmm. wishes that it had. <laughs> What Bruce Springsteen and Clarence Clemens had upon first meeting.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And Bruce on stage on Broadway talking about Clarence Clemens saying that it's a story where they remade the city, shaping it into the kind of place where our friendship and our love for one another wouldn't have been such an exceptional thing because, like, obviously Bruce was white, Clemens was black, one was Baptist, one was Catholic, um, and in the article, it says that's what the kiss was about every time—not just that two men could kiss, but that a white man and a black man could share that kind of love for each other, or that mm-hmm. much love for each other. And that I think is still super relevant to like the stage gay discussion that we're having, like centered oh, on sure. like 2005 to 2010, because yeah. that was I think the goal for a lot of them.
0: Yes, exactly. Like this wasn't just like us detailing the history of like here are the instances of stage gay. Because that could go even longer than what we mentioned. Because there's been a long history of just men performing sexuality and gender in a really compelling way on stage for a very long time. Mm-hmm. But the message and intention behind what Bruce and Clarence were doing aligns more with the kind of analytical approach and like overall, and I don't wanna say like theme or moral or thesis behind stage gay mm-hmm. <laughs> for certain bands, but like. It aligns together.
1: Yeah. And obviously when Bruce and Clarence were like at the height of their game, this was not being called stage gay. Like that is a term that kind of came about on Live Journal, like in the mid aughts, like specifically just because we needed a word to describe whatever the fuck Gerard Way and Frank Arrow were doing on stage <laughs> every single night. Yeah. So what were they doing?
0: Well, Frank and Gerard did a lot of things on
1: stage. <laughs> they did a lot of things on stage. <laughs>
0: they did a lot of things on stage that, uh, Really did a number on my psyche as a 13-year-old. Hopefully. Um, Yeah. They were, like, kissing on stage a lot. Like, it became a nightly, at least, uh, once, or every other, like, tour stop, they were kissing on stage. And it wasn't just, like, them doing that once they started getting, like, notoriety on MTV with uh, their sophomore album, Three Chasers Sweet Revenge. It was happening beforehand, before they started getting any sort of, like, mainstream popularity, too.
1: Yeah, it did definitely get, like, more prominent after Three cheers for Sweet Revenge came out. I think mostly mm-hmm. because that's when they were performing, you know, what they do to guys like us in prison. And, yeah. you know, Gerard was like, this is a song that requires me to talk about and perform sucking dick. Yeah. And he's right. <laughs> it does. Um, it does. <laughs> he's an artist. That's his art. And he's so good he, at it.
0: He's a um, performance
1: artist. <laughs> and, Marina Abramovic, like, fucking eat your heart yeah. out. <laughs> and Frank was so supportive of his art and, like, loves to participate. Like,
0: Frank Aaron, more than anything else loves to participate in Trophy. Yeah, he does. Loves a little ribbon.
1: Loves to fling himself bodily all over the fucking place. Mm-hmm. Just, like, dick first <laughs> into <laughs> Gerard on stage <laughs> in 2005.
0: And there was an interview with, we think it might be KROQ, unsure on that, with Gerard being asked about kissing Frank and, like, what happens, and and, uh, Gerard is asked to kiss Frank on the
1: interview, which is, one, weird. Yeah, it's an audience member. They're like, do you have anything that you want to ask? And she's like, can you kiss Frank again?
0: And that is one, a a huge breach of boundaries, which Mm -hmm. is an example of, you know, people uh, breaking that fourth wall when they really should have not been breaking the fourth wall uh-huh. and gerard says hell no that aid and command thing the interviewer says what happened when you kissed frank on saturday and gerard says magic uh fireworks i was just getting even with him and in the interview then replies i don't think we want to know what he did to you this was posted in august 2007 so this is about the project revolution kiss Uh, which if you're uh, unaware we can get into the history of that real quick in which case we do know what frank did to him which was that he cut his finger on his guitar string
1: and smeared his blood all over gerard's face yeah and then gerard responded by like grabbing him by the back of the head and kissing him extremely violently and then pushing him away and continuing to sing afterwards yeah as one does when you get blood smeared on your face
0: which like i like even if it wasn't a performance thing or like my best friend doing that to me on stage we already have like a mutually agreed thing that we're going to do like stage gay on stage Mm -hmm. stage gay on stage you know live now on broadway (laughs) (laughs) that like i feel like smearing blood on your face is like kind of like don't fucking do that dude (laughs)
1: It is, but it was also, like... Bloodborne Pathogen. This was extremely what band dudes in the 2000s were doing. They were just nasty. (laughs) Yucky disgusting. They were the grossest people on earth. Also, just, like, briefly into Project Revolution, this was the tour where it was Linkin Park headlining, and then I think it was MyChem, Mindless Self-Indulgence, and I can't remember if there was another band on that tour with them.
0: Probably there was, but, like, they weren't important to the larger narrative (laughs) of... Project. So, of.
1: this was the tour where Gerard met his wife Lindsay, who's the bass player for Mindless Self Indulgence. So, like in the 2007 summertime, me logging onto journal every single day to see, like, okay, what did Frank and Gerard do at last night's show? Like, let me look at this four pixel wide photo. And then, like, at the end of the summer, hearing, like, Gerard got married. And I'm like, cool, to who? And they're like, to Lindsay. And I'm like, to a woman. That's so interesting. <laughs> Fascinating. Did not expect that one. Okay, Good for him. but but I guess if he had to marry a
0: woman, at least it's Lindsay.
1: Yeah, that's true. Lindsay also, I think, has like on Twitter said that like she most of her significant relationships before Gerard were with women. Mm-hmm. So that's I don't know. It's a fun thing they have in common. And
0: we will not tolerate any Lindsay Way slander on this pod. For the record.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I see a lot of it and people being like, and like, listen, there's a lot of like really fair critiques you can make of Lindsay um, and that you should make of Lindsay. But when people are like, I won't follow people who like Lindsay way. I'm like, you're one of Gerard's fans, though. Like, he's quite literally married to her. Do you think he doesn't like her? Like, it's just... Like, by proxy. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I think he probably likes her more than any of us. So...
0: (laughs) grow up a little bit yeah Uh, (laughs) understand nuance
1: yeah if you're gonna say like i will fully unfollow anybody who is like tolerant of her in the slightest bit but you're like a huge fan of her husband it's just like all right well clearly there's something going on here uh Mm -hmm. where you're willing to criticize everybody except for gerard which like listen i i get it i've had my faves where i'm like I don't, I just, I don't want to hear it. But, like, y- you have to fucking hear it. And I'm so sorry. I'm
0: so sorry. It's just the reality of the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, Did they get married before or after the kiss? I think it was after the kiss.
1: I think it was after the kiss. Uh, yeah. Because, like, it was not too long after that that Frank and Gerard, like, making out on stage kind of wound down. Like, they mm-hmm. were definitely still, like, buried in each other's space. Like, there's that one... Recording and I want to say like Paris where they're performing during uh, Danger Days era mm-hmm. and like Frank is playing guitar on his back on the floor and Gerard is like straddling him like they were for sure still doing a lot uh they just weren't like kissing anymore
0: yeah i feel like there is a boundary that they established being like hey we're both married now
1: yeah <laughs> like be I might serious. fully be imagining this but I do feel like Gerard said at some point like no I don't do that anymore because I'm married. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I I feel like that was a thing that got passed around, yeah. or at least like was a rumor thing that he said. Yeah, but regardless, after like this, even before Project Rev, like this and like Frank kissing Gerard on stage when they performed "I'm Not Okay" live on Conan are probably the most famous Gerard and Frank kisses that got mm-hmm. passed around the most because I feel like we saw the 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 clip in um the "I'm Not Okay" music video, and everyone was like, "Oh my god, this is crazy."
1: Frank kissing Gerard on the cheek. He kisses him on the cheek. And then after their Conan performance, Frank, like, full-on kisses him on the mouth.
0: Yeah. Which is, like, again, I feel like a lot of people who... This is, like, an overarching thing that we're going to keep getting into over and over again in this podcast. That, like, I don't think that people who are in their early 20s or their teens now don't realize just how bad and homophobic our society was. At least Western society. Like, we're talking North American like, of Mm the United States and Canada, society was during the 2000s. Like, sure, things are a lot better now and things are still very bad. But by and large, it was very bad.
1: Yeah, there are some ways that it's better. There are some ways that I definitely think it's a little bit worse. But, like, Mm in 2003 in America, there were still places where, and maybe there still are, I honestly don't know that much about America. But, like, by and large in 2003, like, gay sex was illegal in the states uh same-sex marriage was still not legal it was still like two years away from being legalized in canada you did not see two men kissing on tv a whole lot so hold on
0: i'm gonna (laughs) gonna google something real fast
1: are you googling whether or not they ever showed guys kissing on will and grace because i can't remember if they did
0: (laughs) no it's like frank and gerard would do this before brokeback mountain even came out like brokeback mountain was a landmark film to come out about, like, men loving each other and kissing and it being, like, Oscar-worthy rather than being, like, taboo snuff film or, like, an indie film that never gained any traction until later on in life or in its career or whatever. So, like, this was a big fucking deal. Yeah. And very scandalous and deeply a political statement more than anything else. 100%. At this time. Mm -hmm. So doing, like, kissing each other full on the mouth on Conan, big fucking deal.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Like, that had reach. That had an audience. And, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, surely there were examples of this before. And, like, I don't know. I mentioned Will and Grace. There were shows before Will and Grace that had gay men on them. Like, queer as folk had already existed. Oh,
0: yeah. We had, like, the L word eventually.
1: Yeah. But when I'm thinking about stuff that existed in my lifetime that I had access to as a teenager... Like, especially a teenager in Catholic school, like the stuff that I had access to, there just wasn't that much. I wouldn't have known where to go looking for it. No, not at all. So, seeing this was like huge.
0: Yeah. Like, I was looking for it in bandom and in fan fiction for properties that I already enjoyed. Yeah. Because, exactly. you know, I didn't have like Steven Universe growing up.
1: No. To introduce <laughs> like, that to me, like, as. A young kid, you know? And yeah. like, I think I knew like one gay person, like one gay adult when I was a kid. And like, I don't know, I was lucky because like my family was always like normal, <laughs> you know? yeah, Like they would just be like, oh yeah, that's, that's a gay person. That's what that means. Yep. And like that yep. was chill. But like outside of that, I wasn't seeing anything and they were not gay people and they like did not really feel the need to go seeking out gay media or like I don't know anything that would that would bring that to me more than it was already being brought Mm -hmm. to me so this was like kind of it you know this was like the gateway into seeing gay people when I was a teenager and now
0: that we're actually talking about it I'm like wow I really didn't see like two people of the same like gender identity kissing each other or like showing affection more than just like holding hands or just talking about having relationships with um like having queer relationships unless it really was Bandom and it was mm-hmm. stage gay, which is crazy to think about <laughs> Holy yeah
1: shit yeah, completely damn um Whew. <laughs> yeah so like Gerard and Frank were like really doing the damn thing um so mm-hmm. like partly because of them, Bandom kind of coined the term stage gay to yeah. discuss instances of them kissing on stage. It was also being used to describe Pete and Patrick from Fall Out Boy, though, mm-hmm. to be honest, and like, we've talked about this so much, they never pinged as stage gay to me. Like, I never was watching like videos of their shows and being like, oh my God, like they're, they're flirting, you know, because, w- and I think it's just because like, that's how Pete acts off stage too. So it never occurred to me to think that he was putting on a show.
0: (laughs) Yeah. He was like, oh, it's just Pete.
1: Yeah. Like, in the last year or two, Pete, like, posted a photo of, I guess, like, his grandfather or his great-grandfather was in the Navy and served on a ship called the USS Stump. And Mm. Pete posted, like, a photo of his hat, which, like, had the ship name embroidered on it. And he was like, oh, this was, like, the ship that my grandfather served on. Like, sometimes the universe is just calling you and you have to answer. And it's like, okay, like, why would I think that Pete and Patrick, like, waltzing on stage is a performance when in Pete's day-to-day life, he's saying shit like, I dreamed up Patrick. So, like, I would be friends with him even if Fall Out Boy didn't exist because I made him up. Like, yeah, that's just how they are. <laughs> yeah,
0: there's no, like, performance or commentary going on on stage when Pete cannot get out of
1: Patrick's, no, he like, just, general zone. No, he just loves that guy. Like, as you should when you're, you know, making art together. Like, great. I love that. Yeah. But again, it's, like, it's nice to see. Like, I didn't see a lot Absolutely. of examples of guys who were friends and who were not so... I don't want to say self-conscious, because, like, I think there was definitely a lot of self-consciousness about how this was being presented, but, like, who were like, going out of their way to say, like, this is my friend and I love them.
0: Yeah, which, like, not exactly a common thing you see from men a lot. And even now. It is, like, even now, like, it's, like, what, there's that one TikTok or, like, tweet that goes around being, like, I haven't, dudes will never see their best friend or talk to them for six months and be, like, oh, yeah, I fucking love that guy. He's my best friend. And they hang out with each other for a week and then don't see each other again for, like, yeah another two years. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, what do you, what do you mean you're not absolutely obsessed with your friends and can't Mm -hmm. stop talking about them? Okay. yeah.
1: (laughs) Though I do think it's nice that they have, I mean, not all men have this ability, but like that some of them do have this ability to go a long time without seeing each other and just pick up.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I personally love to be in constant contact.
0: Yeah. But also like, it's nice to have dudes who like like you were saying so obsessed with each other and were very happy to loudly proclaim that whenever they could without mm-hmm. fear of it being perceived as like gay yeah gay in the derogatory way
1: yeah <laughs> because it was the 2000s because they quite explicitly were not like they were being called gay in a derogatory way and they were like very clearly not taking that as the insult that it was intended to be
0: not in the slightest. Uh, we do have to give an honorable mention for the stage gate antics of Gabe supporter, William Beckett, and Travis McCoy. Gabe supporter from Cobra Starship in Midtown. William Beckett from the Academy is in Travis McCoy from Jim Class Heroes. Because they did some shit on stage together on, I think, Warp Tour, like, 06, I want to say, or 07. There is a lot, like, there is a, a very distinct image I remember of, like, Travis standing behind William and William leaning into like Travis back
1: and Travis almost like palming William through his jeans. Oh yeah. Like, like Travis has big hands. So he's got like his thumb on William's hip. And then like the span of his hand is going to like where his belly button would be, I guess like he it's, it's a lot. That photo yeah. got passed around like fucking cigarettes when I was in middle school.
0: <laughs> yeah. And the like, William and Gabe never really did full stage gay, stage gay, mm-hmm. but they would constantly like lean into each other's space when like William got brought on stage for Snakes on a Plane and stuff like that. But their like approach to stage gay kind of lived online mm-hmm. for the most part based on interactions that happened with them off stage. So, like, that kind of puts them in a unique position that is drastically different from what like frank and gerard were doing yeah and like i can go on a whole like quick history of gabillium but we like we truly do not have time for that but i feel like the most truncated way it's like give are obsessed with each other there's images of like gabe eating uh, chocolate at of Williams belly button. There's a picture of them kissing, I think, at Angels and Kings. That was recently the poster for... Yes. <laughs> uh, at, ...for them at Riot Fest. Yeah. Which was absolutely fucking insane of them to do. Incredible. But Gabe, at the end of the day, is also a business person. He's a genius. He's a genius. He fully understands that, oh, stage gay for pay, mm-hmm. but emphasis on the pay part. He kind yeah. of picked up on that a lot faster or rather, I want to say... Didn't pick up on it, but was able to utilize it for uh, marketing (laughs) reasons Yeah, versus like I made it almost like a cornerstone of liking Cobra Starship and Slash or the Academy is Mm -hmm. versus like Frank and Gerard. Whatever they did on stage was not really brought up outside of that. Unless directly asked in an interview or, like, by fans on Twitter. Yeah. But, <laughs> so, recently, actually, another, like, relation to Gabillium. I took a fan cam of Gabe uh, playing bass when he was in Midtown opening for My Chemical Romance. And I posted it on my K-pop Twitter account. Which, please do not go looking for my K-pop Twitter account. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but I had posted it when I was unprivated. And Tag Music contacted me. It was like, "Hey, can like can we post this for stuff?" Tag Music, which is the management, the music management company that Gabe owns and is the CEO of and runs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, "Yeah, sure, like no problem." By the way, can you please like credit my main Twitter account and not my K-pop account because I like to keep those two things separate. And their social media manager said, "Don't worry about it. My entire timeline is Gabilium." So even in, like, the day-to-day operations of tag music, Gabe is so aware of Gabilium.
1: We were like, sitting crazy. on your sofa in absolute hysterics. Like, because we were like, this intern just called him Mr. Supporta and then said that their entire timeline is Gabilium. Like, that's your boss,
0: though. That's your boss. <laughs> You're seeing people, like, write tweets about <laughs> those two the man who pays you
1: like my god I don't know I mean I I guess it's kind of what you sign up for but if I was you know getting up every day and opening my phone and seeing photos of my boss from like 10 years ago making out with some guy I would be like that's my boss though like guys (laughs) like (laughs) I see him at the office every day like he has to tell me he has to tell me what to do (laughs) Like so what guys, am I gonna
0: do? Guys. No, <laughs> I can't look at like Excel spreadsheets, <laughs> like all this. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, we're going to eventually get into Raiden because, like, we do have to get into the Ryan and Brendan of it all in hang at the Disco in terms of stage gay. Mm-hmm. But that they are a direct, like, not I want to say like direct opposite, but a very different approach to stage gay. Than Mm -hmm. what Frank and Gerard are doing. So we're going to get back to Frank and Gerard. Because they are kind of like. The blueprint for stage gay and emo. Yeah. So there's been. Like finally people who grew up with Bandom, Either they were like teenagers. To like their Mm -hmm. mid-twenties. Are now. Have grown up enough that they could. Have the skills and resources to write. uh, Academic discussions. About emo sexuality, queerness, gender. And stage gay. Which Mm -hmm we didn't really have access to in an academic proper like academic journal way there are people like writing about it properly like true meta essays on live journal but like this time it has chicago footnotes
1: yeah exactly
0: so we can now both bust out our degrees
1: (laughs) yeah a little bit now the when people asked me um i majored in gender studies that is what my uh, bachelor of arts is in um, and mm-hmm. when people would say to me, what are you going to do with that when you graduate? I would say uh, either I'm going to work at a coffee shop. I mean, that was the only thing I said. I said, I'm going I'm to work at a coffee shop. And I do. So I have fulfilled my life's purpose. Now I can do the second thing that I could possibly do with a gender studies degree, which is talk about performative queerness in emo bands of the 2000s. Like um. this,
0: <laughs> this has everything in your life has been leading up to this very specific podcast. It has.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, so we did find like a few academic articles um, that were published uh, fairly recently. My favorite one that I ended up finding was Bandam aid My Face," uh, which was published in 2014 by Ross Hagen. Um, shout out to Marn for using her own academic resources to find me access to this article so that i could read it without having to pay fifty dollars
0: yeah because we i found the link to it last night when we were doing research and i was like well fuck i don't want to pay for this but thanks for keeping your bibliography public and i just like scroll through the bibliography yeah so uh,
1: my university login sadly does not work anymore uh they figured out that i'm not paying tuition anymore and they were like you can't read
0: yeah i know i my Jstor access has been long revoked At this point, I can't even use my, like, old college ID anymore. They're like, you don't look like this anymore.
1: It's bullshit. I think that if you have ever set foot in an academic institution, you know, not even set foot, if you have ever logged into an academic institution to take any kind of class, if you've ever even looked at their admissions portal, if you've ever even looked at their fucking website, you should be given free and unrestricted access to JSTOR. If you've ever even thought about it. You know what? Everyone. I'm not even gonna limit it to people who've thought about college. Everybody.
0: To be fair, JSTOR now has a policy that they started during the initial COVID nineteen lockdown that you get access to like I think two hundred free articles a year. Okay. If you're not a student. So but this article was not on JSTOR. No, it wasn't. <laughs> That's why we needed to pull out um we needed to pull some strings. Yeah. Call in some people. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, so anyway, the, what is that's, this article that we're talking about? That's the one that we found. And it is talking about uh, bandom and stage gay and mm-hmm. like fans and how they were relating to bandom. And wow, I said bandom weird there. Fans band-um. and how they were relating to bandom and how they were relating to these band members. Um, mm-hmm. so here's a quote that I liked from kind of the beginning of that article, music fan discourse dating back to the 19th century emphasizes the feeling of connection, or that one knows the star intimately through performances, and more recently, televised interviews and other public appearances. In Bandom this feeling was amplified by the sheer amount of personal material that these musicians posted online. It was often possible to follow their activity on Twitter much as one would a personal friend, leading to a survey respondent to dub Bandom the fandom of immediacy. Another respondent described this constant influx of new canon as one of her favorite aspects of Bandom. Although the availability of personal information is not unique to Bandom, the amount of material and interaction with the musicians was unprecedented. Several survey respondents noted that this online connection sometimes led fans to blur the lines between fiction and reality, although they were quick to distance themselves from such misapprehensions about real person fiction. Um, that's the most I think we're going to talk about it before we get to our big ending discussion about RPF. Sure. But it is just kind sure. of the uh, the intro to how people were feeling. It yeah. was genuinely unprecedented amounts of access.
0: Mm-hmm. Because not only was it like Twitter, it was, you know, Myspace. It was BuzzNet. It was AIM. Like fucking Pete had his like AIM totally, you know, available to view and mm-hmm. chat with him. And same thing with, like, Mikey Way to some extent. And emo, pop punk, and hardcore all come from this background of equality between band and audience member because emo was born in basements where there was no room for stages. There was no, like, height clearance for stages. So the stage and where the pit was was the exact same place. Mm-hmm. So I feel like a lot of the band guys who grew up in this scene kind of had a difficult time separating that initial grassroots, like, DIY mentality with their fans from when they started to get big on MTV. So Mm -hmm. it was hard for them to maintain boundaries just the same way that fans had a hard time maintaining boundaries because now we had not just DIY, you know, emo scene normal levels of, you know, social, you know, interactions going on. You now had a power imbalance going on that no one was ready to adjust to. And it was just so much stuff all the time, Mm -hmm. like every single day. Like that's also like fully that quote of the constant influx of new canon is why I got into fandom and why I continue my main fandoms, like follow real people. Because I like having something new to look at every single day. Mm -hmm. It tickles the ADHD in the brain. (laughs) Yeah.
1: No, (laughs) definitely. And I think that that, like, to go off what you were saying about it being, like, in basements and there being this, like, going from their fan base being, like, five people in a room and they all kind of knew each other and having that be the expectation, like, that it's a group of friends and then... Like Mm -hmm. all of, I think especially Pete Wentz was trying to maintain that feeling even as the fan base grew and that became something that was totally untenable. But like they were all kind of maintaining that level of access and the way that they would have acted if they were still playing to basements. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it was a vibe that truly could not have been recreated anywhere else. And when you look at Bandim Ate My Face, there's like a lot of discussion about how like survey respondents from BANDOM compared to survey respondents from like other like classic rock bands or like pop music as their main music fandoms they said like BANDOM people were responding to surveys in a completely different way and they were mm-hmm. interacting with the music in a completely different way than any other music fans were mm-hmm. which makes perfect sense because it was Absolutely. a totally different scene.
0: Because like again with like pop music and classic rock there was still that level of, you know, distance between mm-hmm. and also not just to mention like the fact that like social media and stuff, but if you're looking at pop stars that were also really big during their early 2000s, like I immediately think of Lady Gaga mm-hmm. and her fans. Still when these pop stars and the bands got big, there was an understanding that like, oh, we're celebrities now that mm-hmm. didn't really cross the minds of Bandom bands, yeah. Until much later on in their careers.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, when they figured out like, hey, this is not sustainable for us as like individual humans to be carrying this much like weight of expectation on our backs, mm-hmm. because like you you cannot maintain the same relationship with a million fans that you're maintaining with five fans. It's not possible. No. And I think that they did all eventually figure that out, but like they really all kind of had to take a hard road there
0: like something bad had to happen in terms of like social media connection mm-hmm. for things to turn sour
1: yeah so um i think the by other... the time th- oh, you, you keep
0: going oh i was gonna say like by the time that like i was old enough to start going to shows in my fandom experience like wasn't just living online with at least what is considered the holy trinity of emo mm-hmm. Fall up boy panic at the disco my chemical romance they had pretty much like shut down that kind of connection with fans mm-hmm. that was living on, like, Live Rental and um, Instant Messenger that was present in newer bands still, but, like, by the time 2008 rolled around, it was like, we we're lucky to get a tweet or a blog entry.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, and, like, Pete still had kind of his secret blog spot, I think, like, up until Fully Doo was put out, but then after that, it was kind of gone.
0: Yeah. Which is a bummer. I mm-hmm. miss, like, blog posts.
1: Yeah, me <laughs> for too. For sure. Um, so one of the articles that we found was Bandom Ate My Face. The other article that I found that was interesting was um, Is Stage Gay Queer Baiting? Which was published mm. in 2021. Um, I'm going to say the short answer is no. Because yeah. real people cannot do queer bait. But it is kind of calling back to the discussions that they were having in 2007 on Live Journal about stage gay Mm -hmm. um so we get a definition of queerbaiting in this article um that says joseph brennan's editing edited volume queerbaiting and fandom develops the concept of queerbaiting to include at least the following meanings a media producers publicly pledging some sort of allegiance to lgbt causes without delivering on that allegiance b courting queer viewers for example via paratexts such as trailers that imply queer creators characters and or relationships than not fulfilling those expectations or see unsatisfactory representation, such as needlessly killing off queer characters to avoid resolution of those stories. Um, Mm -hmm. yada, yada, yada. Obviously this becomes more complicated when we apply it to the concept of stage gay, which is a term invented by fans of emo and post punks in the early 2000s. This was written in 2021. Yeah. But of course the discussion was taking place in 2007, on live yeah. journal. Uh, would you like to talk about this, this yeah. wild live journal entry?
0: All right. So, like we like mentioned earlier, that this kind of meta essay, academic approach, or just like actually well thought out, well thought out thoughts. Could I phrase it any better? <laughs> about. <laughs> Stage gay, like, were happening on LiveJournal, Um, and one of the most, like, I don't want to say groundbreaking, but one of the ones that garnered the most attention and traction online um, was posted in 2007 by LiveJournal user Fabella, and they published a piece of meta, essentially an essay about fandom if you're unfamiliar with the term meta and as it relates to... Fandom and meta is typically coming from people who do not have PhDs behind their name uh, Mm -hmm. and are just like posting it online versus an academic journal uh, titled, What's the deal with this pop life? Yo, play acting the gay Uh, in which they discuss the offense they feel as a queer person watching emo from people perform gayness on stage. So the post itself is really, really, really long. Mm hmm. But we're going to read out, I'm going to read out just a couple chunks from it as it relates to what we've been discussing so far in this episode. So the uh, post starts out by saying, quote, Okay, I'm willing to make myself really incredibly unpopular here by saying it offends me. It offends me because I am queer, and a lot of actual queer people go through a lot of heartbreak and trauma just for being who they are, while these guys get to play at it without taking on any risk. In one way, how empowering for them. In another, bigger, more personal way, how insulting to use and exploit queerness to garner fans and popularity and money to project an image of glam rock sensibilities without actually having to make love in gay style, as my favorite fictional bisexual glam rocker would say. Oh, Kurt Wilde, I Love You, uh, which Kurt Wilde is from the movie Velvet Goldmine, a fantastic film if you have not watched it.
1: Spectacular movie. Go see yeah. it.
0: <laughs> Go see it. And then yada yada yada, continuing on to the post. If, for example, these boys went on stage and played at being Black, imagine the outrage then, which, like, come on. What are we doing here? What an outrageous and like irresponsible comparison to make that's me saying that that was not in the actual text
1: no we (laughs) talked about it like (laughs) like full disclosure we had kind of a dress rehearsal for this episode and when we got to this part we kept saying not to relitigate a post from 2007 but this is unreal like you cannot say this (laughs) you can't say this like we weren't very much relitigating a post from 2007 (laughs) Yeah,
0: which sorry to drag I... out your shit, Fabella, but like you do deserve to get Yeah, like... maybe
1: maybe you've grown as a person. I'm not gonna like dox you or anything, obviously, but like this This was some stupid shit to say.
0: Yeah. And so continuing on with what Fabella had to say was an absolutely stupid thing to say. Mm-hmm. Uh to me, it's the same thing. <gasps> <laughs> Again, it's like performing blackface. Awful. Uh for them to say this. It's offensive so and disgusting and unacceptable because it inherently mocks and exploits a minority group. As date underscore another live General user, this pointed out. But they are treating queerness like a performance. If, like a mantle you can wear and then take off whenever you want, it's safe for them because they have girlfriends. It's not about actual desire, but instead performance, and that's fucked up. I think if any of them were actually gay, they wouldn't be playing it so gay on stage, and that's a problem. We'll get into that mm-hmm. one. Um, How would that make someone like Lance Bass, who member of NSYNC, who spent years hiding his sexual orientation feel to see people playing at being gay on stage. It's so hard to wrap my brain around this question without knowing Lance on a personal level, but if it were me, sort of is me, I would feel angry that they're basically mocking what they're meaning to or not a situation that was very real and hard for him to go through jealous that they can get away with it and angry that they can get away with it because they're straight a gay man can't or is made to feel like he can't be gay in a boy band on stage but straight men can and that says something about our society that it's okay for straight men to play at being gay as long as they have relationships with girls and aren't actually gay but it's not okay for a gay man to be himself and be honest yeah so again a lot of these points are fair Fully, the yeah. thing about blackface again, obviously fucking insane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when later on in that post they mentioned Pete, went as a specific person who offends them, when Pete Wentz himself is black,
1: <laughs> so yeah, it's just like even you if they hadn't mentioned Pete, this was gonna be bad. But like then you did mention Pete, and it's like, what are you fucking doing, fucking like dog? No, I don't know. I just like what the fuck are you talking about, like. Obviously, all that shit about blackface is insane. I can see some of these points. Like, I can see personally, as a queer person, feeling resentful and jealous of people who you're assuming are straight, being able to, like, get away with something that you can't get away with.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I do wonder, like, I'm not going to go through this person's entire live journal, but I'm kind of like, was this rage happening when Madonna kissed Britney and Christina at the MTV Awards? Yeah. Like... like... Two very different things going on there. I don't know. Like, was that the same level of anger that you were feeling for that? Were you feeling any anger for that? I have no idea. I, I'm i not going to speculate, but, like, I do feel like there was less hand-wringing over that than there is over this. Coming from the yeah. same communities. You know?
0: Yeah, and I feel like a lot of that had to come with the... I, I don't even know what it would, would be compared to the... Britney and Madonna moment because that was very clearly a stage game moment that was intended for the male gaze and for Mm -hmm. shock value more Mm -hmm. than anything else.
1: Oh completely and I feel like most of the hand-wringing that I did see over that was from like homophobes who were like oh well it's inappropriate for them to do that where like children could have seen. Mm -hmm. Children did see I was like 12 when I saw that changed my life. Oh yeah. Um, But I didn't see so much, like, even later on when it would get brought up again, people saying, like, oh, well, it's not fair because, like, real lesbians can't do that. And it's like, really yeah, no, like, they can't because, like, that's that's not what society wants from lesbians right now. It's not what they mm-hmm. want from lesbians. <laughs> it's not what they wanted then. It's still not what they want right now. Um, yeah. But, like, was this person freaking out over that, too? Because, come on. Who knows? Also, it's, like, super notable that I looked at the sidebar of this person's vlog um and it links to her fic tag and fabala was way into american idol and boy band fan fiction so it's like okay you're not okay with stage gay you are okay with fic that is playing off of the stage gay so like what's the line here
0: yeah you can't like i feel like you can't enjoy uh rpf and then also hate when the people that you're writing fictional scenarios of do things (laughs) in real life that you don't Mm -hmm. like.
1: Yeah, it's like, okay, is this not what you're, like, fantasizing about? Like, that's, I don't know. It's a a very weird, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Some weird mental gymnastics are going on here. Yeah,
0: and which, again, not to relitigate someone's live journal from 2007 from an unknown user who is not a public figure, Mm -hmm. but, like, we're all dealing with, like, complicated feelings surrounding gender and sexuality in 2007 if you if you ended up being queer later on in life there was some fucking bullshit going on (laughs) Mm -hmm. in your mind so like who fucking knows but and also going back to the essay that we were been citing a lot been in my face it does actually cite fabala's post the Mm -hmm. moment where the the portion read that saying they're treating queerness like a performance etc etc cetera playing at being gay but
1: yeah so this did get used in an academic <laughs> journal to discuss uh like the problems with stage gay we just said before we read this like this person doesn't have a phd at the end of their name and they were putting this on live journal but it did end up uh being published by someone with a phd behind their name absolutely uh, fascinating stuff so we get the response mm-hmm. from calpern uh, live journal user calperna who uh wrote a really good post refuting some of those points it's also very long so we're not going to quote the whole thing um but the gist at the start is uh when members of a dominant culture appropriate aspects of an oppressed culture for entertainment they characteristically do two things first they take stereotypical characteristics and exaggerate them for comedic effect for people to laugh at and secondly they distance themselves personally from identifying with the group in question They get the audience laughing at the characters while making sure that offstage they are not subjected to any of the hate or bigotry that goes along with that. They say this is entertaining and this is not me with the same breath. That is what blackface entails and to me that is the most hateful thing about it. When Fall Out Boy and My Chemical Romance began their flirtations with gender and sexuality, they were literally doing the exact opposite of what I've described above. They were deliberately taking on the degradation, the hatred, and the inflammatory remarks.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this point here is supported specifically by Gerard and Frank themselves, both of whom gone on record about the point of their stage gay being to draw fire from homophobes in the scene. So, like, there there is an intentionality behind stage gay, at mm-hmm. least in the case of Frank and Gerard. Yeah. For the other people who were, like, flirting with doing stage gay or kind of incorporated aspects of it into their, you know, public-facing personas, I don't think any of them were ever angry to be perceived as anything but straight i can't properly think of a case of any band member who did stage gay being like actually um how dare you call me gay
1: (laughs) yeah like they knew the score they're like yeah i know how it looks
0: (laughs) yeah they were like okay that's fine it's fine that you perceive me that way don't worry about it i do have a girlfriend but like i don't Mm -hmm. care that you think that i'm gay kind yeah. of thing like the point that Calparna made about gender and sexuality and deliberately taking on the degradation the hate and the inflammatory remarks gerard does say in an interview uh and i quote some of the bands playing this tour think homosexuality is funny. Way adds, they're still living in 1992, and that's the kind of shit that made high school unbearable for some of my friends. I had a hard time in high school because of shit like that, and I'm straight. It's this jock mentality that should have nothing to do with punk rock or rock and roll, for that matter. And this was in uh, the context for this is in relation to um, playing with Guttermouth on Warp 2004, a tour which Guttermouth dropped out of, and MCR stayed on for. And we can get all into the fucking bullshit of Warp Tour 2004 with that one,
1: but... Yeah, yeah, a lot was going on on that tour, which was basically mm-hmm. that... I mean, one was that MyChem was playing at, like, 11am because Kevin Lyman, the guy who was running Warp Tour, was kind of convinced that nobody would want to come see them. Um, Idiot behavior. yeah. And the other thing that happened was that Kevin Lyman, the asshole who ran Warp Tour, heard that Gerard and the rest of my chem were having this issue with the guys from guttermouth and he would put them on stages that were right next to each other one after the other so he would have my chem go on and then he would have guttermouth go on a half hour later like in basically the same small space
0: and also like guttermouth was encouraging their like fans to say mean and awful derogatory things towards my of Romance fans and specifically calling like Gerard Slurs on stage. Oh yeah. And Kevin Lyman was like, oh, all bad press is good press and if I have two bands feuding, that means more people will stay and like care about what's going on.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Guttermouth also, like, less famously now, I guess, had problems with like a lot of the other bands on that tour. Like They were on tour with, like, no FX and anti-flag. And every day they were complaining that they were like, everyone here is so political. Like, they all hate George Bush and they won't stop talking about wanting to vote. And it's like, I, you may have picked the wrong music scene to be a part of. But, like, punk music is political, dude. Like, you're not going to find an art form that isn't. But punk specifically is, like, about it. (laughs) And
0: you can't go on tour with the band called anti-flag and expect it to not be political you idiots
1: (laughs) like you genuinely just cannot be that stupid you can't no that article is from rock sound and it ends with gerard saying you know when you're in a studio recording albums you lose your voice you forget what it's like to play live or be called the epsler until you get called one by a 40 year old loser in a punk band that's going nowhere they did fucking go nowhere when was the last time you heard of Guttermouth? Probably today.
0: <laughs> Probably in relation to Micah Munker romance more often yeah. than not now.
1: <laughs> Probably right the fuck now.
0: Would choose to say who just went on a reunion tour that sold out stadiums across the world. And what is Guttermouth doing? Um, I don't know. Jobless? Yeah. Flops.
1: <laughs> Are they wearing a cheerleader dress at the Kia Forum with a flamethrower? No. I don't think so. so. I don't think so. You know, the arc of history bends towards justice. Um. <laughs> go back to our uh to calperna and their live journal post where they continue on to say (laughs) bestie calperna uh to say all of this means that no matter what is going on in their personal lives no matter who they're sleeping with or what their sexual identity may be the members of these two bands have chosen to say whether or not i'm gay i want you to treat me like i am and i'm going to push you to wonder if i am and i'm not going to back away from that if i get shit for it queer people are my people because these bands exist, you can go to be a 14-year-old gay kid growing up in some small town, and you can go to your first concert and watch your idols make out on stage while a thousand people cheer, and then one of them picks up the microphone and says, this is a song for anyone who's ever felt alone. And, like, exactly.
0: Exactly. that Like, that's that's the whole thing. That's the whole point, and I can't say it better than a LiveJournal user did in 2007.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, like, again, not to relitigate some posts from 2000, but, and to say... Well, one of you is right and one of you is wrong when, like, a significant part of it is about, like, your own feelings. Like, I mm-hmm. can't tell you that your feelings are wrong if you're like, "Well, I can't do that and I resent people who can." Like, yeah, like it's a personal problem, but I also can't say that you're wrong for feeling that way. I can't say that you're wrong for comparing it to blackface.
0: Yeah, that was that one. Fuck. That one, I can absolutely be like, "You're no, like, that you're was garbage." Wrong
1: on that one. <laughs> but you know, if if you as a queer person are saying these guys say they're straight and then they make out on stage and they go home to their wives and they're comfortable. And I that makes me sad. Fine, yeah. Fine, like 100%. That's, I can totally understand that. But I mean, it also... That, that's so
0: surface level
1: of it. It is, because it's like, it's not like they have done that and not permanently changed everyone's perception of them. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, most people watching that are now probably going to assume... That people who are kissing boys are doing it because they like kissing boys, you know? Yeah. It's going to change how they're seen.
0: And also, there's the issue of, like, sure, it's a lot of, like, oh, so you're assuming that they're straight kind of thing. Because it wasn't safe to be out in mm-hmm. in the way that they wanted or could be back in the 2000s. Like, yeah, yeah. we definitely had a couple out celebrities in the 2000s, for sure, But they were not being intimate in the way that, like, Frank and Gerard were on stage with their partners because Mm -hmm. it wasn't safe to do that. So, like, the fact that you had them doing it and you're still going to be like, hmm, I'm assuming these men are straight.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, okay, I mean, you can feel free to assume that, but, like, ultimately, it's not something that we know. It's none of our business. And they say kind of right at the start of that post, like on the one hand, how empowering for them. And it's like, okay, drill down a little deeper into that. Why might that be empowering? Mm -hmm. Why might it be empowering for people who, you know, are like big air quotes straight to kiss on stage? Like, why might that make them feel powerful and brave? Mm -hmm. Like, because even if afterwards they are still straight, 100%, they still feel that way. It's probably pretty freeing to know that this is something that you can do and still be accepted for by like your community
0: for sure and also i feel like this was at a time again in the early 2000s where the options were to the larger dominating like social like consciousness at hand that your options were literally gay or straight there Mm -hmm. was like sure people like people knew that bi people existed, but it was not taken seriously in the slightest, even by absolutely people not. who were gay. It, it, mm-hmm. Like biphobia was absolutely rampant everywhere in the two yeah. thousands. Like if you were a guy and you were bi and you said that you were bi, it was like, oh, this is your stepping stone to admitting that you're gay. And then mm-hmm. if you were a woman and you said that you were bi, then it was, oh, you're doing it for attention.
1: Mm-hmm. It was
0: never a case of like, a oh, considered a legitimate identity that one could be so i like i kind of understand the that period typical thinking of yeah not not that ao3 tag period typical thinking homophobia (laughs) but like i i but like the person did but uh what's the person's url not calperna fabala yeah like use the term queer but like so you're using the word queer but can't wrap your head around the fact that like hey Maybe something might be going on here.
1: <laughs> and the fact that they call out specifically Kurt Wilde, their favorite fictional bisexual rock star, and then can't, like, conceive of applying bisexual to anyone in real life.
0: And I think it's, like, important to note that, like, Gerard said that he's straight in that one interview that we quoted.
1: And and I think said it you know, again in, like, 2014. Yeah. So... Like, here's what we know for sure about Gerard. Gerard says he's straight. Gerard says his preferred pronouns are he and they. Yeah. That's it. We don't have any identity info beyond that. Hmm. And we and, don't need it. And that's it, yeah. But it's mostly just like,
0: hey, sometimes your relationship with gender and sexuality can change over time. Mm-hmm. And very clearly, like, Gerard's has. And who's to say any other person in the scene if their sexuality, you know, changed over time? But, like, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is interesting. I think that you brought up like the period typical biphobia, because when this thing between Fabala and Kalpurna like it spun out quite a bit and ended up getting a write up on uh, fandom wank, which was like the hobby drama of the 2000s live journal scene. Yeah, it's where like you would go and say like, I'm in Battlestar Galactica fandom. And here is a big fandom wide argument that is like kind of low stakes, but everyone is involved in it and like three friendships have ended. And like, here is the summary. And everyone would just come look at that and be like, wow, that's crazy. And it has no bearing on my life whatsoever. Like, that's so fun. Mm -hmm. So it got a write up on there. And there was someone in the comments being like, do these people know that bisexuality exists? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Like, damn. It's like, girl, I don't know. (laughs) Sorry.
0: And that's all to say that like, at the point in time that stage gay was most prevalent. People were talking about it. It was getting discussed and it was being discussed in the, is it offensive way? Is it progressive? Is it PR? Is it being done to sell albums or concert tickets? Is it evidence of real relationships, etc., etc. Twitch to, to say, like, honestly, all of the above. Mm-hmm. But getting back to My Chemical Romance specifically, it was definitely them choosing to say, treat me like I'm gay and very intentionally aligning themselves with queer people. Um, And there's a very notice, like, noticeable and I don't say noticeable very noted things that people who are not gerard in the band did, specifically Frank, to mm-hmm. be an ally. Because we had Frank in his handwritten with Sharpie homophobia is gay t shirt t shirt. Um putting the word pansy on his guitar, kissing Gerard in the video for I'm not okay and on live TV, you know, following the performance of corner which we discussed, and everything that happened at Pro Rev. Frank and Gerard both have referred to themselves using the F slur there this extends also to plenty of other bands in the scene uh notably fall Out boy with pete wentz um happily reclaiming the slur in an out magazine interview uh despite maintaining that he does not date or sleep men but you know like lots of stuff was being done that directly refutes what that uh what live user uh fabala was saying where they're like no no i'm straight i'm like these men were very okay with being a target and being, like, very much the meme. <laughs> What's that? Oh, yeah. Like, the, the Silent Army or whatever the hell the meme. Yeah, of the, the guy, Silent like, Protector. The Silent <laughs> Protector, like, blocking the kid off in bed, sleeping. It was fully just, like, you know, Frank, Gerard, Pat, uh, Pete, like, <laughs> a bunch of people mm-hmm. being, like, slurs and, like, gay kids sleeping quietly in bed. Like, that's yeah. what they were doing.
1: <laughs> hmm And, like, Pete in that Out Magazine interview does... So Pete did this thing a lot in the 2000s where he would say, I'm gay above the waist. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't really want to sleep with guys, but like, you know, like I, I get it. And in that interview, he does kind of spend a little time worrying about how maybe like by being okay with being called the F word, like he's being appropriative of something that's not his. And it's kind of, you know, I, I'm like as a queer person myself, like I can't speak specifically for the F slur and I don't want to because like, that's like, I don't feel like that one's mine. But like, Mm -hmm. I kind of don't care who is saying what for the most part, as long as they're saying it in the right way. You know, like Mm -hmm. if Pete Wentz wants to say, like, I don't know, like my friend is a dyke or whatever. I'm like, great. Yeah. Like, I, I think you're allowed to do that because like you're saying it with love.
0: Yeah. And if your friend like identifies as being a dyke, then you say the thing that your friend is identifying as.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, that's respecting them. So, like, I do appreciate that kind of thing when people are like, oh, I don't know, like, if I should be, like, okay with having this word used for me, like, if I'm, like, overstepping. Nah, like, if you want to help us make this be a good thing to be, then, like, I I have a hard time finding a problem with that.
0: Mm -hmm. Anything that takes tools of oppression away from the dominant social class and we can turn it to our own thing I'm all in favor of
1: yeah like I don't know I like it um Mm -hmm. and I know that there's lots of people who don't that's you know that's That's totally fine cool for you too everyone use what they like for themselves I do like how this article ends which is like maybe it's time for a little fuck you of our own at least the idea that a guy can't be a good queer role model unless he actually has sex with men Once could be the world's best spokesman to a generation of kids who grew up with gay-straight alliances but haven't all made the leap to full acceptance. No matter how much older or famous he's gotten, he hasn't stopped speaking their language, and he certainly isn't going to shut up anytime soon.
0: And fully, that last line was talking about Rhea T. Like, <laughs> I was in like, the Gay Straight Alliance and I had not made the leap to full acceptance. But boy, did I love watching dudes kiss each other on stage when I was a teenager.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah, mm-hmm. it was, was like, fully. Mm, why is it this was... so compelling?
0: Why does this feel safe? Why does this feel it good?
1: Was genuinely like the this better not awaken anything in me thing from community except i didn't even realize there was something to be awakened like that Fully. never was a possibility i was just like oh yeah this is nice how come better mm-hmm. not think about it um <laughs> no, i won't think about this
0: until i'm about to go to college <laughs>
1: yeah but like that is the point to me that like why do we all have to know first sh- why do you have to disclose yes i do have sex with men and here's how for us to all be okay with you kissing men on stage or to be okay with you not even, like, using slurs, but just being okay with being called them, you mm-hmm. know? Because like, it's
0: ultimately a, like, I'm confident enough in myself that this doesn't this doesn't hurt me because it's not a bad thing to be, yeah. you know, gay. And
1: it's I not. can get it because there's this very, if I'm not 100% sure that you are on my side, then how do I know that you're not, I don't know, secretly against me? For sure. You know, and when you are living your whole life in defensive mode, like a lot of queer people were in the 2000s, -hmm. then like, I can completely understand that mindset. But I do think that that's something that you have to work your way out of because we don't get to liberation unless we're okay with everyone just fucking around. Mm -hmm. And like, that's it. You have to be able to fuck around (laughs) with your gender, with your sexuality.
0: You have to fuck around and find out. (laughs) And you need to (laughs) give the space to do so.
1: Exactly. Like... You have to, it has to be okay. You have to be okay with people that you don't like fucking around. You Mm -hmm. have to be okay with, you know, all of that shit. But when we were in like 2007 and, you know, prop eight was in the news, which was the uh, proposition in California, which was like either, it was basically to legitimize same sex marriage in the state of California. And that was like getting overturned and it was like constantly in contention. And I was going to school In my legalized gay shirt from American Apparel. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Fall Out Boy is releasing a song called Gay is Not a Synonym for Shitty. And that summer I'm seeing Frank and Gerard making out on stage, even though they're getting bottles thrown at them. And talking about how their gay fans are, like, so brave for turning up to shows. Like, yeah, that, you're queer icons. It does not matter to me at this point what you're doing in your personal life. Because you've been putting in the fucking work for me.
0: Mm Mm-hmm like ultimate allyship like Mm -hmm. if you want to be an ally you better kiss a dude on stage and get a bottle thrown at you (laughs)
1: yeah exactly then you can you can call me whatever you want if you've done that okay yeah (laughs) that's how you get the pass Mm
0: -hmm. and that's all to say that like frank and gerard and to some extent pete wentz and uh patrick it was revolutionary it was like stage gay was a political statement it was a solace for a lot of gay teens. It, yeah, it was titillating. And yeah, it was a little bit taboo. But that's what made it exciting and also what made it safe mm-hmm. for everyone. And it yeah. gave people a security blanket and a key to figuring out who they were or who they were not. And ultimately, like, yeah, it led to a lot of things when it came to, like, boundaries being crossed Its relationship with RPF, but like this distancing itself from what people did with stage gay, it ultimately like was a tool of revolution, (laughs) not Mm -hmm. to like put such a serious like emphasis on it. But like stage gay was a big deal.
1: Yeah, no, it was. And I think that now would be a good time to take a moment to talk a little more specifically about Project Revolution and how that summer was fucking nuts and why it was so nuts.
0: Yes, we got into it a little bit. We it we was... we danced around, you know, the specific moment where Frank smeared blood on Gerard and Gerard made out with him and then Gerard got married.
1: But, yeah. Um, but why was that summer so fucking crazy? Because of Mikey
0: goddamn way. Because of Mikey fucking way. And this is our perfect moment to have our our um per our episode Mikey way hate moments our boop, boop 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 Mikey Way hate moment
1: <laughs> I do have to disclaim that I'm wearing my Mikey fucking way t-shirt right now um but uh God, and I, I'm literally I, like that <laughs> that fucking steam review where they're like zero out of five thumbs down I hate this game ignore my time played and it's like a thousand hours in game like- and again
0: <laughs> to reiterate to our listeners Chloe and I do have matching Mikey Way tattoos yeah we, we do
1: we sure we do. do. <laughs> it's so fucking stupid. We contain multitudes.
0: There's nuance and layers. We're like onions
1: mm-hmm. and ogres. Exactly. Uh, Mikey Way was not at Warped Tour. Was not... At... Yeah, he was. Mikey yes. Wei... <laughs> Way... was at Warped Tour. <laughs> famously uh, he was Wei... at Warped Tour. Famously, he was at Warped Tour. Mikey Way was not at Project Revolution in 2007. No. Uh, he got married that year, and he was taking some time off. And he got married to... Uh, I forget
0: what her maiden name is, but Alicia, Simmons. who was in from first to last they had gotten married that summer or like a little bit beforehand
1: alicia Simmons was not in fucking from first to last
0: no what was she in then she played bass from first to last like very briefly you're lying to me i'm how do you not know this (laughs) stop it Go look it up right now. Google that shit. Alicia wasn't from first to last. She briefly played bass. That's why she was friends I'm with fucking sunny morning. And eventually became friends with like that entire group that we talked about.
1: Okay. Well, I knew that she was a guitar tech. I didn't know that she had filled in on stage for their bass yes. player.
0: Okay. Yeah, no. She did that Fuck. multiple times over.
1: The fact that Gerard and Mikey both married bass players.
0: That something you guys to have a disease.
1: Um <laughs> Did you know that um the person who wrote Bandam Ate My Face, also a bass player? Hmm. There's something in the fucking in the in a fucking bass. There's something in the water for bass players. Um anyway, Mikey. Mikey had gotten married, was taking the summer off, and uh their friend Matt Cortez was filling in on guitar, and it is my firm belief that if Mikey had been on Project Revolution, the uh the blood smearing And then following Kiss would not have happened. And then, like, a week later when Gerard and Frank had a fucking fistfight on stage also would not have happened.
0: No, because Mikey Way is basically the original form of the Kellogg's graham cracker to Frank and Gerard. (laughs) Like, he kills the vibe immediately with his presence and also is, like, the awful homophobic dog meme of, like, I know what you are yeah. any any single time that Frank and Gerard do anything on stage. He even did that over this past tour. Like
1: yeah, he did. He brings down the vibe. Like, all those shots of him just, like... Looking at Frank with disgust. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> I know what you are. No. <laughs> when Frank was fully, like, not even doing anything. No. I mean, Frank was doing things. Frank spit straight up into the air and then caught it back in his own mouth, which is I can't, a crazy can't, thing to do. I
0: can't get it out right now.
1: Yeah. And I think that that is one of the times that Mikey was looking at him in disgust just to be like. Which is fair. Don't do that. But I yeah, think deserve he deserved that do one. that.
0: But, like. Mikey wasn't there to essentially be the Frank Gerard cock block. And then things got yeah. out of hand.
1: <laughs> things got so out of fucking hand. Can you imagine being Mikey? And so like Frank has said that like, he was emailing Mikey constantly on that tour. Cause he was like, I miss him. So I email him like every day. And it's like, what most those emails have been like, like, Hey man, smeared blood on your brother's face. And then he like kissed me so violently. Hey, we got in a huge fucking fistfight on stage. Uh, hey, Gerard got married today. Like, just what? His inbox must have been shambles,
0: and who even knows he was checking his email oh, on his wasn't. honeymoon?
1: He wasn't.
0: <laughs> like, hi, Mikey, your brother's getting finger blasted on stage. Um <laughs> do you have to say?
1: <laughs> what do you think? He's like, cool. I'm gonna turn off my T-Mobile psychic and. Do you have a psychic, <laughs> my T-Mobile sidekick, and I'm gonna move on with my day, um, as he should. So that
0: concludes our first half of Stage Gay. Yeah. We said that it was going to be a fucking wawa wah hoagie of an episode. That was our first section on Stage Gay. And we're going to take a quick break, and you're going to hear a lovely word from one of our other colleagues and friends at Moonshot Podcasts. Hey, what's up, party people? So this actually is going to end up being part one, episode one of our series on Stage Gay. You know, Chloe and I have these big ideas and like topics we want to cover, and... And we figured that it's going to have to be split into two parts. But we could still fit it into one episode. And then we look at how long we talked for. And it ends up being like almost three hours of raw audio. And we still think once it gets cut down. That it could still be one episode. Well I'm telling you. This one's going to be a one episode. Um, <laughs> it's going to be split into multiple episodes. Because there was so much we talked about. And I think it would be a disservice to the kinds of things that we're discussing. To put it into one big long episode. And instead we should chunk it down a little bit for ease of listening so what I just sent there at the end that we recorded this three months ago in March was a lie the next part will be sometime not when this episode is uploaded to be totally honest I don't know if the episode is gonna come out part two of this is gonna come out you know this week next Wednesday or on our typical schedule for you know Uploading, which how often do we really stick to that anyway? Despite it should it should be a very easy schedule to stick to, but that's you know, life happens. Anyway, that's all to say. We hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you tune in for episode two, Stage Gay Electric Boogaloo. That will come out soon. And also, happy pride! This is our basically pride episode for this year, and it's a really important topic. And we felt that it was important to upload it during Pride Month versus when we had initially planned on getting it uploaded. And that is to say that Chloe and I are both queer. We're both here. We're both very proud. And I think this Pride Month now more than ever, it is important to be out and be proud as safely and loudly as you possibly can because in North America, at least, and some places around the world, it is very hard to be a queer person right now. And we have to find the joy, the love, and the magic wherever we can right now. And especially during Pride. That got a little heavy. <laughs> anyway, so my ending sp- spiel, you always know it. I always I always blow it. This podcast is powered by Moonshot Podcast. It is a gift to be part of this network. As well as, if you like what we do over here at So Even When I Fell Apart, please rate and review our podcast under Podcatcher of Choice. If you have time to write a review, wonderful. If you can just take some time to throw us a couple stars, that would be also fantastic. It really helps our podcast reach a larger audience. And also, if you like what we do here, I keep saying that phrase, oh my god. If you like what we do here, please share the episodes with your friends. And the easiest way to do that is on Twitter or just, you know, sending a DM, a Spotify link or whatever but also I promise you I've been saying it now for like a month as of the time of uploading this we actually now have an Instagram where we hopefully will start posting you know uh, clips and reels of what we do and maybe sort of utilize Instagram as a way to crowdsource information ask questions do q as in a more accessible way than Twitter as interface isn't really allow for and all that kind of shit so Expect more stuff to get posted over there. Give it a follow. Much appreciated. Um, I'll post it on the Twitter. It's probably going to be at SoEmoPod on Instagram, depending on what's taken. I love that I'm rambling on about this and saying that I promise that the account is going to be up there by the time I upload this, and I haven't made the account yet. That's the kind of professionalism that you come here and expect it, so we might fall apart. <laughs> oh, God. So, yeah, the the huge. Follow us on Twitter at so SoEmoPod. Share our shit. Give us some reviews. Throw us a like. Throw us a bone. Um, it's always appreciated. And you're still going to hear a word from one of our colleagues over at Moonshot Podcast. You should give all of our friends over there a listen to their pods. They do great work over there. Um, I'm going to shut up now <laughs> and go. So thank you so much for listening. Happy Pride. See you for Sage Gay Part 2 Electric Boogaloo on the whenever.
1: Kung Fu Grip. Kung Fu Grip? As you can see,
0: I had to use my uh, Judo on Gerard. Yeah, I see that. Gerard's actually gone to pieces here during this interview. Sometimes it happens. I just got
1: so emo, I fell apart. That's what actually happened.
0: You got that sad? Yes. Last time on Dragon Ball Z. Turtle and I are going out to dinner. You two better behave while we're gone. And most importantly, no improv. If I hear any yes and you're getting the back of this hand well Vince it looks like we've got the Kame house all to ourselves yeah we do Aaron and you know what that means it's time to throw a banger of a pod! We're Kame House Party, the only improv comedy Dragon Ball podcast in the known universe. We're going through every iteration of Dragon
1: Ball episode by episode and performing improvised scenes based on what we watched.
0: And you don't have to be a Dragon Ball super fan to enjoy the podcast because each week we do a one-minute roundup to catch everyone up so you can enjoy the latest and greatest episode. Yes,
1: and what the shell is going on? They're doing improv all over the Kame House. They even put on flannel shirts. We're Kame House Party, part of the Moonshot Network, with new episodes every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Don't close out a promo while I'm yelling at you.
1: Finn.